humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950, talking to you from the from the bunker. <laughs> How are you? Happy, happy Saturday to you. I am thrilled to be here. I am also a little bit uh, melancholy because yesterday uh, we had our first snowfall here in Minnesota. Yep. I woke up, snow, all white white stuff on the grass, white stuff on the roofs. I mean, it was fairly pretty with uh, uh, my um, uh, purple fountain row of uh, purple rose fountain uh, grass, and you know that was that was lovely. But yeah, it's all over. It's another five and a half to six months of just don't don't eat. I'm not even going to go down there. Okay. Well, we have a great show on that very negative note. Uh, the big interview is with Dr. Dan Kessler. He is a candidate running for the Minnesota Senate seat in District 48 here in Minnesota to go and represent my district at the Minnesota State House. That's where I happen to live, okay? And you will enjoy Dr. Dan greatly. Um, uh, he is uh, a great storyteller, quite charismatic, and I'm sure that um, you will enjoy the interview. Of course, um, in the C Block, I'll talk about my work as an idealist. That's what I am, and that is what this show is about, about people trying to make a positive difference in the world. But um, before we do anything else, let us begin with the A Block in our featured idealist of the week. If you get my newsletter, The Ripple, and please do, okay, just go to elliekrug.com and you can sign up for it. But if you get The Ripple, you very well may be familiar with this person that I'm highlighting today because in the relief section of the newsletter, I often share videos of animals, cute, you know, puppies or or whales or dolphins or elephants or whatever. Um, I share those videos and of humans doing funny things or kind things. Okay, both funny or kind. And many of those videos that are in the relief section of the Ripple are um, links to tweets by this person, our featured idealist, whom until I uh, prepared for the show, I had no idea actually about this person. I'm speaking of Rex Chapman, who counts me as one of his 1.5 million Twitter followers. Um and some of what uh, follows uh, is from Wikipedia, of course, my main source for information, but also from an April 4, 2022 New York Times piece by uh, Brandon Sneed. <clears throat> Who is Rex Chapman and how did he become someone that I'd uh, come to follow and share of his Twitter posts? Well, those who are basketball fans listening, of which I am not, just to be honest with you here – probably will recognize Rex Chapman's name. He was a basketball star in Kentucky and the son of Kentucky Wesleyan basketball coach Wayne Chapman. Rex went on to play for the University of Kentucky basketball team where he won all kinds of recognitions and the nickname King Rex. I, I, I want to note here though, parenthetically, okay, um, that when he was in college, at the University of uh, Kentucky, Rex was harassed by his coaches and other players for having a black girlfriend. Rex is white. Um, and that was uh, horrible and certainly a form of trauma 
that he experienced. Uh, in 1988, Rex Chapman was drafted for the first roster on the then brand new NBA expansion team, the Charlotte Hornets, where he played for six years. Ultimately, he was in the NBA for a total of 12 years, retiring in 2000, the year 2000, after a, a four-year stint of playing for the Phoenix Suns. Listen to me. I'm sounding like I know something about sports. Just trust me. I don't. Okay, I'm just reading from the show notes. All told, uh, Rex Chapman scored, now get this, 9,731 points in the NBA. I mean, just shy of 10,000. And he grabbed 1,600-plus rebounds. Rex, Rex Chapman's basketball career was plagued by a series of injuries for which he was prescribed various opioids for pain. As a result, Rex developed an opioid addiction that would ultimately lead to him blowing through $40 million of NBA earnings. He also had a gambling addiction and had him couch surfing eventually with friends. His addiction also led to his divorce and a 15-year estrangement from his four children who are now um, in their early to late 20s. Uh, he has since reconciled with his children, but of course, think of the trauma that they carry. Ultimately, everything came crashing down when Rex was arrested for shoplifting $14,000 worth of merchandise from an Apple store. How do you that, – that, that's a lot of Apple stuff. And boy, they don't let you they, – they don't – an Apple, they, I mean they don't let you like play with the toys. So I don't know how he did that, but he got arrested. He got busted. And um, you know, so go from having earned $40 million over 12 years with the NBA to then getting busted for shoplifting. Eventually, Rex found success um, with his third attempt at rehab. And after his recovery, Rex Chapman began speaking publicly about his struggles fueled by deep social anxiety and an attention deficit disorder um, and the trauma of growing up uh, in a chaotic household. By the way, I don't think we call it a disorder anymore. We just call it attention deficit. Okay, just for the record, I'm trying to be correct here. But he grew up in a chaotic household. His father, who, as I said, was a coach for Kentucky Wesleyan, um, was apparently a very uh, difficult man uh, to live with. All of this uh, led uh, Rex to one day randomly tweeting about a video of a dolphin jumping up and hitting a paddleboarder in the chest, knocking the paddleboarder off the board. And Rex cap captioned the video, Block or charge, which uh, I now understand only – trust me, only today do I understand that after researching for this show. I now understand that the phrase block or charge is a basketball term. From there, Rex started tweeting about animals and humans doing good in the world, which is frankly why I follow him on Twitter. The animals are good, but I really like the videos about humans who are good to other humans. For the record, my – 1,200 followers pales, just so you know, in comparison to Rex's 1.5 million followers. And you can call me extremely jealous over that. But uh, all of those Twitter followers led CNN okay, to reach out uh, to Rex 
for him to host an interview podcast on CNN Plus. Remember, CNN Plus was short-lived. I don't even know if it lasted more than two months. Um, and before CNN Plus went away, Rex had started a show and he put in four shows where he interviewed various people. Now, you may be asking why I consider Rex Chapman an idealist, as in really, what has he do- done to change the world for the better? Well, as CNN put it, um, this is a CNN producer put it, quote, I found him to be an incredibly compelling human. He has come forward and talked about these challenges publicly and really tried to use his experience to help others. And that's really, I mean, you know, that's incredibly important. And then uh, as the New York Times noted, hold on a second, uh, Chapman said he learned empathy from his mother and from his own pain. He still wrestles with the guilt and the shame of his past, particularly for not being a better father. Uh, Chapman said what they had to go through at school, people knowing that their dad was in trouble and got arrested. He said, it crushes me. You know, and, um, and then Chapman went on to say, I'm just trying to make up for lost time. I feel like I was gone from his children's lives for about 15 years, which apparently he was. And so I have him cited today as an idealist um, because he's a prime example of surviving the human condition. Rex Chapman went from literally the top, like we're talking the very, very top of the pyramid, basketball superstar, multimillionaire with fame and money and all the rewards that that money could bring. He went from there at the top to the bottom to opioid addict and a thief. His example of battling back from that, think about that, and then sharing about that battle despite his social anxiety, uh, in my book, puts Rex, Rex Chapman in the category of idealist. It does. Now, please do yourself a favor if you'd like. And if you are on Twitter like me, um, and I've spoken before quite a bit about me being a Twitter junkie, <laughs> go follow Rex Chapman. All you got to do is just, you know, type into the search bar, Rex Chapman. You're going to see where you can start to follow him. And I, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be sorry. His uh, tweets are sometimes funny, but many times they're very touching because he does find, he does, he finds tweets about humans doing good for other humans. And as I just read to you from the New York Times piece, he learned empathy from his mother. And apparently, it's very clear, <clears throat> actually, he learned to have empathy for himself. So, there you go. Okay, that puts us uh, into line to go and do the big interview with Dr. Dan Kessler running for the Senate in Minnesota, State Senate in Minnesota. When we come back, we'll start that interview. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com uh, and reach out to me at elliejkrug at gmail. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a sec. She's making sure she's
And we're back. LA 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Everyone, time for the big interview. I told you about Dr. Dan Kessler, who is uh, running for the Minnesota Senate seat in District 48, which happens to be also the district in which I live. Uh, And I have Dr. Dan Kessler on the line right now. We are looking at each other uh, online. Dr. Dan, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? I'm I'm great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you, and welcome to the show, and thanks for giving us your time. I know you're incredibly busy. In addition to uh, you running for the state senate, you also happen to be a practicing psychologist, and so I know you got a lot a lot of demands on your time. Um, so, uh, I, one of the things I I really wanted to do is to get to know you a little bit. So, I'm wondering if you could tell the audience, you know, a little bit about. Uh, Dr. Dan Kessler, where'd you grow up, you know, and, and, and how did you end up in uh, Chaska where you live right now? Oh gosh. I, I, I grew up in the Washington DC metro area where I was raised by, uh, you know, I, my parents, dad was an economist for the department of labor, um, and, uh, moved out to Minnesota about 20 years ago. Um, honestly, at the time I'd been living in a little town called Farmville, Virginia and Farmville, Virginia had, um, you know, I young kids and uh, schools were questionable, you know, uh, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds that Farmville had this really interesting history of shutting down their schools rather than integrating more than 50 years ago when they were ordered to under Brown versus Board of Education. And um, as a remnant, 50 years later, the school system or less than 50 years at the time, the school system just had never caught up. And they had a two-tiered school system with a private school that was okay and a public school that was really quite weak. And I had young kids, and I wanted to go to I wanted my kids to go to the public school system. I really believe in a strong public school system, and went looking for a place to live. And I had family here in Minnesota, and landed in Chaska. Um, terrific place to live, terrific place to raise my kids, and I'm really happy we made the move. Well, that's great. I mean, it it you know it is uh, a great place. I mean, it's out in Carver County, and Tell me, um, uh, you're running for the state Senate. This is your sec- uh, second attempt at elected office, right? Do I have that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. You got close last time. Mm-hmm. And um, so tell us a little bit about why you're running and, and what do you see as the key issues? You've got uh, uh, Coleman, uh, Marianne, is that her first name? Marianne. Julia. Julia, excuse me. Julia Coleman, yeah. Julia Coleman. Okay, she's your opponent. So tell us a little bit about the campaign. How is it going? You know, the campaign, um, I know it, like all politicians are always going to say, our campaign's going great. You know, that's, that's standard. But the reality is we've been getting really amazing reception. Um, I, uh, my campaign has been reaching out to folks primarily by, by knocking on their doors asking them what's important to you. And what we're finding is a lot of folks are concerned about the direction they see things going. Um, the, the, the rights we're seeing being taken away, especially from women and, uh, the concerns around, uh, and efforts to weaken our schools and some other, some other factors, some of the extremism that they're seeing, um, in, and I'd like to say what, what used to be the Republican party, um, and they're, they're, they're hearing the message and they're concerned. And I'm talking to a lot of, certainly a lot of Democrats, but I'm talking to a lot of moderates, a lot of Republicans, a lot of, a lot of sort of middle of the road folks who are saying, you know, 
the messaging here, what you're talking about, what you stand for, that fits my values. Um, and so it's been really heartening to talk to those folks that we that are that have traditionally either voted Republican or see themselves as independents and who are moving in a direction that that that, that fits with what what uh, uh, what I believe and what a, what a lot of other believe people believe our state needs to go in. Well, the county went for Trump by six in 2020. Um, the county population went. It's about 110,000, 106,000 people. Now, I'm I am running for what I'm running for is a Senate District 48. Right. And Senate District 48 is a subset of Carver County. Right. And Senate District 48 went for Joe Biden by one point. OK. OK. Um, now, Senate District 48 also went for Jason Lewis against Tina Smith by a couple points. So this is a district where people are splitting their votes. People are looking at the individual and they're looking at the race carefully. This is the district that votes more than. I think there's one other district in the state of Minnesota and like two others in the country that have a higher voting percentage than here. We had 91% voter turnout in 19 in 2020. And I think at like 82% or 83% in the midterm in 2018. Yeah. So people here vote and they, and they look up their candidates. Um, that I know from my own personal experience with people who have been reaching out to me for the uh, school board. Uh, can, can we go backwards and can I ask you what made you decide to run? Oh. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, you're, job, you're a busy, I mean, you're a busy guy, you're a successful yeah. psychologist, oh, yeah. well, you know, <laughs> my, my job as a psychologist, you know, I, I, folks come into my office, I, I, I hear the concerns and, and my job is to help them to make the changes they need in their lives, in their approach to their world, in, 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 in their relationships to others to improve things, to, to, to resolve their, their mental health concerns or issues, to make their lives better, to grow, et cetera. And that's a, that's a one, one-on-one thing. And, and they make those changes, but I kept running into problems that were systemic in nature. You know, in the healthcare arena, people who, <clears throat> you know, they're doing everything right. I have a job. Uh, I have health insurance. I have a family. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 being a good steward of my money and my, and my, and my finances. And yet I can't afford this prescriptions, $325, you know, even with my insurance. And that's a systemic issue. You know, the systemic issues, um, there, there are so many of them. Um, uh, you know, you know, before we, before we resolved, um, at least for now under a Supreme court decision, um, marriage equality, you know, I've been together with this person for 20 years. I love them. We've raised family together. We want to get married. I can't help them to fix that individually. That's a systemic issue. And if you want to fix systemic issues, you have to go where they make the rules. And they make the rules over in Minnesota. They make the rules over in St. Paul. And so um, that's what really initially got me invested and involved is, is seeing the need for some of those systemic changes that had to happen yeah, to, to in, order, in order to help people to be able to, to, to advance their lives. Well, it's critically important that we get people that deal with the, the you know, the, the macro issues that affect everybody on a micro level that, you know, now you're out there, you've been, I mean, you've got a, for what it is worth, I think you have an incredibly well-organized campaign and you've got a lot of people that believe in you. And if, if uh, having yard signs out was going to be the, the marker of uh, success, you're going to, you know, you're going to crush Coleman. <laughs> but 
But you you were telling me, I saw you last night at an event, and you were telling me about how you, so far there are four flyers that have gone out against you. It's So you're you're encountering, you're running against a negative campaign. Yeah, and and um, the 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 mail that's going out is coming out from the uh, if I remember the mailers I've looked at, they're coming out not from my opponent but from the Minnesota Republican Party by and large, and and yes, and you know, I what I'm frustrated by in some of these mailings is that they're not about me. Um, these are mailings that are saying you know Dan Kessler's liberal friends voted this way. And the, and many of these things are things that I have public positions that I've taken. You know, they're saying I'm they're, they're saying I want to cut funding for police. I I'm 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 on the record as saying I want I want us to to, to enhance the funding we have in order in order to we we we're, we're down police officers in a lot of jurisdictions, especially Minneapolis, and I want to add funding so that we can recruit, train and retain police officers. And that I have made a statement like that that I have said that there are some taxes I want to cut. I want to cut those tax on Social Security in Minnesota. Please do. Yeah, one of eight states to tax Social Security in Minnesota, and I've come yeah. out in favor of 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 of, of, of t- taking away that tax in Minnesota. You know, I, I, I I'm in favor of a temporary moratorium on gas tax in Minnesota until gas prices come down. So there's a number of things that I have very publicly come out and stated, and uh, the flyers that come out, the mailers that come out, are saying that I I, I wanted the exact opposite of those things. And I, I, I'm fine with them knocking me on things that I believe in. Uh, I'm against the voucher system for schools. You want to hit me on that? That's great. Um, I, I am, I am una, unapologetically, unabashedly pro-choice. You want to knock me on that? Go right ahead. But I wish they would knock me on stuff I actually believed in instead <laughs> of like, you know, someone else voted this way who happened to have a D next to their name three years ago or two years ago. So we're going to say that, 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 that Dan's going to vote that way. And I, I just, you want to knock me, knock me about something I actually believe in. You know? So, so let's, um, let's, t- let's kind of go down a rabbit hole a little bit. If you're okay with this, you're a, sure. you're a psychologist and I'm going to guess without ever having talked to you about your practice, but I'm going to guess that a large part of your practice is about people being afraid. Of one thing you know, I, or another. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I treat depression, I treat anxiety. Um, I do a lot of work with sleep. I do marriage counseling. Um, well, I mean, let me let I me mean, finish why I bring that up because oh, I bring oh, sorry, it up. Please, I mean, yeah. what these flyers are, what you're just talking about. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're preying on fear. Yes. Okay, and that's why I bring this up. I mean, you know, you're – I mean, you're, you're trained, I would assume, to deal with people who have – anxiety, anxiety, you know, you say anxiety, I say fear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is the lay person here, but yeah, you know, but give me your general read about the anxiety. We'll, we'll use the very professional term here, the anxiety level that you are encountering, you know, as you go and do your door knocking. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's interesting, and I, I'm I see it certainly in my office as well as door knocking. What it, what I the one of the data points I find really fascinating is that eighty five percent of Americans think that there's something wrong, that we're heading in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's fascinating because we know that most Americans fall in the middle, 
and we have whatever 25, 30% on this side, 25, 30% on the, on the right, but, but 85% are worried about the direction we're heading. Um, and that's really fascinating to me. Um, maybe there's a place that we can, we can come together and recognize that a lot of us are concerned. Um, I will say that in my office, while I've always heard people being concerned about this politics situation, that political situation, I am certainly seeing more people more anxious than, than I ever have before about, about sort of political issues, which is mm-hmm. really fascinating to me. And I intentionally keep all of my politics out of my office. That's not, as a psychologist, I'm like, no, like, it's like Ghostbusters. We don't cross the streams. It's just, <laughs> right, it's right. just you know, it's, it's a non-starter. I don't talk politics in my office, but people do bring in issues and concerns. Um, and sometimes there are people who agree with me politically and sometimes people who disagree with me politically. My job is to listen to them either way right? and to hear their concerns and to validate their concerns. But, as best I can. but are you hearing anxiety about, you know, are we going to have an America? You know, yeah. is, is it going to be here in five years? Well, will it even be here in two years? Yeah, I'm hearing that anxiety. I mean, people are worried about whether or not we're going to have how many more elections we're going to have. You know, are, are, are there have their active efforts to overturn or not, not to not accept or even overturn. And we certainly have saw within the January 6th hearings that, that the active efforts to overturn uh, an election. And, and what I'm, what I'm concerned about is that states are, many states are continuing to aggressively move towards limiting voting rights, towards closing polling places. You know, Texas just closed this polling place at Texas A&M where, where most students voted at and students, you know, tend to vote in a direction that I personally would like them to, them to vote in. And they've removed this polling place. We certainly see this in minority neighborhoods around the country yeah. um, in Republican held states where they're taking away polling places or cutting down polling hours and trying to create barriers to, to voting. I think that this is a country where we should be doing as much as we can to give as many people the opportunity to vote, make sure every single vote is counted. Um, you know, Minnesota is doing a pretty good job of that right now. For sure. Um, I, I, would, I would hate to see what would happen if, if, uh, if Steve Simon loses that election. And we have someone in, 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 in office as a secretary of state who, who wants to reduce voting hours, wants to curtail, uh, wants to curtail voting options for people. Well, that, she's also an election. She's also an election denier. I mean, that's my understanding. Yeah. yeah. So, well, you know, I um, and certainly, you know, with the school board and we don't need to dwell on uh, me and the school board election, but. You know, I, I'm seeing and hearing about people just worried about what might be next, you know, what's over the horizon. And um, it's just. I, yeah. And I talk about school board elections sometimes with, with people at, at the door. I, I will encourage them to look in the school board because we have seen school boards around the country that have been taken over yep. by groups of people who <clears throat> uh, I, I see them as anti-education. Um, folks are out there banning books, um, silencing teachers, um, requiring that teachers not talk about this subject or that subject or not talk about. And and it's often done in the guise of let's have teachers be non-political. Let's have teachers only teach the, the math, science and things like that. Teachers have never stopped teaching that stuff. Teachers are teaching just as much math, just as much science, just as much English as they ever taught before. Um What's happening is is teachers are, are teachers are being respectful of people. They're seeing I mean, it people. It's right. not hard to be respectful. If someone says, "I prefer to go by this name," to call them by that name, why? How is that? That doesn't detract from that teacher's ability to teach math. The fact that 
that that this student prefers this name over over that name. It certainly has been happening for years without it being a gender issue. Um, You know, kid goes by a nickname, the teacher calls him by that nickname. It's like not complicated to me. This is not like, oh, you you like you you like go by Jim instead of James. All right, we'll call you Jim instead of James. Well, why is I I don't understand why this has become an issue even in our schools because it is not an either or. It is not somehow if we call this person by this name versus that name. Now we're not teaching math anymore. We're still teaching math. That hasn't changed a thing. And and that's been the false dichotomy that's been created, that either you're teaching one or the other. And it, it's not. It's, it's a fantastic point. I, you know, the listeners are going to hear, because after I'm done with you, I do a C block where I talk about my work. And they're going to hear about a talk I gave yesterday to a, a number of uh, more than 100 professionals in the foster care system and juvenile justice system and and child therapy out in New England. Um, I did it via Zoom yesterday. And one of the things I talked to him, it was about how to be protective of LGBTQ youth plus youth. And one of the things I talked to him about was about helping and, and creating an atmosphere where youth feel that they matter. And so what you and I are just talking about right now about, you know, come on, it's, you know, th- this child wants to be known by this name. And guess what? This pronoun is, is consistent with how they view themselves in the world. All that is, is just allowing somebody to feel that they matter, that they have some value in the world, mm-hmm. you know. And for me, it's incredibly frustrating when people want to just gloss over that, you know, or they just want to, they literally want to shut it down. And, and the message that it sends to people other than who are like the core mainstream, you know, who have all the privilege, it sends to everybody else that you're not as worthy as the core mainstream. You yeah, just aren't. I agree. So now yeah, before we go, and I'm watching my time here, I really want you to talk about some of your door knocking stories. Because last night yeah. I heard you, you are, you know, you are an excellent storyteller. I just want you to know that. And last night you talked about some experiences with your door knocking. Could you share a couple of those stories? Because, Dr. Dan, what you're doing, you're doing old-fashioned politics. You're going and, and you're knocking on doors and you're talking to humans. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, if I can share two brief stories that are both around the issue of choice. Um, the first was I was, you know, I was door knocking with my 11-year-old who keeps track of the, she gets the, she has the, She's writing down everyone's positions. And I asked the one what she what was important to her. She's about my age. And she told me, um, you know, she wants smaller government. She wants lower taxes. And I can see my daughter going to check off the Republican box because <laughs> um, she's savvy. Um, and uh, she asked me, what do you stand for? And I told her a bit of what I stand for. And I told her that I, that I stood for that. I, I really believe that I, I, that our government and I and this individual, regardless of my belief system, shouldn't be able to make a decision for anyone in my life, my wife or my daughters or any other woman. And, and the woman was like, she like stopped and she was like, ah, and she used this word. She says, I'm terrified. I have two daughters in their twenties and I'm so afraid that something could happen to them and they wouldn't be able to make their own healthcare decisions. And I, I am absolutely voting, voting democratic this year because that issue is so important to me. <laughs> And, and it really, it really, like, I, you know, she, it was, it was moving. It was like, it was a meaningful, emotional moment for her. And, and that's not the only time. And, and, and 
I have another minute, I could, you know, I've I, got, I've got just about a minute. So go ahead right. and go ahead and tell um, me the second story. I, I had, I had a, a, a younger woman in her thirties, you know, I don't, she didn't know what her issues were, she said, but, but she asked me and I mentioned the same issue on choice and she's looking at my literature and I could see her eyes just hit that spot where I talked about choice and talked about supporting a woman's right. And like, I saw something in her face and I've seen in my office so many times when someone is really touched by something personal and she just looked up from the lip piece and she said, I'm voting for you. And she turned and went into her house. Like I didn't have a chance to say thank you for the vote, which I always do. That was something really meaningful personally to her. And that's, that's a big part of a part of why we continue doing this and why my campaign continues moving forward is, is because these things are, these issues are important. Well, I, I just want you to know, um, I really respect you and it's been really great to get to know you a little bit. Um, and, and I, I just, I'm, I just wish you the very best because you are so incredibly sincere. I mean, I know, I mean, I just know based on the little I know about you, but I, I have it deep in my heart that you believe everything that you have said here on the show and everything that I've heard you say in other gatherings. And I know that you will go and you won't forget. You won't forget the people that you knocked the doors on and who opened the doors and talked to you. I know. And I know that you won't forget about me or about the kids. I know that. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for the chance to come on your show and chat with people. I just really, really appreciate it, Dr. Dan. And so thank you for being on LE 2.0 Radio. I wish you the best. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, when we come back from the break, we'll do my C block uh, where I'll talk about my work. You've already had a little preview for it. Okay. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. And we're back. Ellie 2.0 Ready. I told you, like Dr. Dan, didn't I tell you? I told you. Yep. Good storyteller. He is charismatic. You should see him in, in uh, public. He's just really, yeah, he's just really, really great. So I, I'm glad that we were able to do that. And Dr. Dan, good luck. I hope you win. Just like I hope I win. Okay. C Block here. Ellie Krug, idealist. What am I doing? What's going on in my world? <clears throat> How am I trying to make the world better? I don't know. Well, a couple of things. So the first is, uh, you know, I'm running as we talked um, uh, earlier in the show here and uh, for the school board. And um, I, you know, I don't want to uh, dwell on it except about this one thing. And I may have talked about it last week, but if I did, it's still important. I'm going to come back and talk about it again. And that is, you know, before I got into this race, um, you know, I was told, okay, that there would be a lot of negativity directed toward me. And um, I've got – I'm just – it's Carver County. It's, you know, um, went, you know, went for Trump by six and the school district unfortunately has a history of some acrimony over a number of things, um, including the masks. Um, they made national news because of somebody getting assaulted over, you know, who two opposing people in a room in the school board meeting room uh, – you know, having opposing views and it got into uh, physical. 
but so people are like Elliot. It's going to be it's going to be negative. So we're sorry. We want you to run, but and I'm here to report to you. Other than a Facebook post that somebody sent to me, and then where a total stranger um, spoke up and defended me. Okay, and other than that, and a stolen a stolen yard sign. And there's no doubt it was stolen because other other yard signs right next to it weren't weren't stolen. Only mine was. Apart from that, I'm here to tell you things are there is no negativity. And I'm thrilled about that. I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be able to say that. Um and, and it very well may mean and, and I you know, we had the candidate forum last week. I talked about the candidate forum and about being strident. Um uh, in one of my answers, of which I'm now hearing from people, they're like, "Ellie, we really liked you being strident, and we we want to we want a fighter in there for us." Um, uh, you know, uh, now of course I forgot where I was going with that, but but the the point here is, um, it, it it's gone exceedingly well, and last week at the candidate forum, I said. I would I, I would I said I'd like to help us all turn the page, you know, and this may be proof that the page is turning. It is turning. And, I, and I'm just inc- incredibly grateful for that. I am. So there's that. And then on top of that, yesterday, this week, let's see, the, uh, I've done three trainings this week already. I'll do a training. Uh, no, well, four trainings this week. By the time you hear the show, and then um, last week I did one. They're all they're five different trainings. I I do. I have a repertoire of at least five different things. But last yesterday, excuse me, on Thursday it was me uh, teaching about how to be welcoming, how to be protective and good to LGBTQ youth, uh, LGBTQ plus youth, and I spoke to 170. Um, people involved in the foster care system, uh, the juvenile justice system, uh, some you know therapists and other folks out in uh, New England. I did it by Zoom. Wonderful group of people. And uh, I was totally impressed by how much people want to get it right. I mean, they le- legitimately care about LGBTQ plus youth. I'm sure they care about all youth, okay? But the topic was LGBTQ plus youth, who, by the way, you know, in many places in our country are under attack, you know, who have great fear across our country about the direction that it's taking in some states. And then you hear about, you know, what uh, Supreme Court Justice Thomas wants to say about uh, rolling back uh, protections for... um, um, uh, marriage equality and, and other things that directly affect LGBTQ plus humans, particularly youth. And they have no say. I mean, they don't vote. They can't vote. They're younger than voting. They, many times they don't have any say in their family because they're, they run into intolerant parents, you know. And, and so – but this group yesterday, 170-ish people, they were so eager – like, you know, as if I'm the expert, okay? I guess both, you know, getting paid for it. So, um, but they were eager to learn. 
And one of the things that I said to them is that you have to protect these kids. Your job is to protect them, okay? And you can protect them in a variety of ways. You can open the gates for them. You can be there for them. You can listen to them. You can do some research to help them if they need to go get a therapist or whatever. But what you need to do is to protect them. That's your job. That's your role. Um, And you know what? I didn't get any pushback from any of those folks when I said that. I just saw on the screen because I like to do Zoom where you can see people, Zoom meeting. I just saw a lot of people nod. A lot of people nod when I said that. You know, and, and it does in many, many ways. It does take this kind of collective village uh, that we have um, to protect the most vulnerable. You know, now, I mean, all kids should be protected from bullying. There should be no bullying of any kind of any child. <clears throat> okay. All children should be loved. You know, all children should have access to resources that they need, therapeutic, medical, whatever. Um, And they should be able to go to bed at night, not worrying about what school is going to be like the next day for them. Or they should be able to open up their laptop or their iPad and not have to worry about what they're going to read on a social media message about them. That's the perfect world. That's not the world that exists. And we adults, particularly we professionals. So if you're involved with working with youth right now, please understand that we need to protect our LGBTQ kids. We do. And... um, and if you want some tips about it or you ever want to talk to me about it, reach out, Ellie Krug at Krug at gmail.com. I will be happy to talk with you, okay? All right. Well, listen, uh, that is pretty much the show, as they say, in the can. In, that's professional radio lingo for you. Um, uh, uh, next week, next Saturday, I'm going to be live. So – Hopefully, I'll have a guest next Saturday. I'm going to try. Okay. If not, though, you'll be able to call in and talk to me. Hey, Ellie, how you doing? All that kind of stuff. Big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. It's uh, Brett, I just love working with you. You're just such a consummate professional. And um, to you, my listeners, I just we, – we, between now and next Saturday, will you do me this favor? Go out. Do something good to make the world better. And if you do that, call in next Saturday. Tell me what you did. Okay? All right. Take care. Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0. All out.